Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Uh, We're going to go together in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. Okay. Numbers, that's the fourth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And this morning we are continuing in our summer series, Divine Rescue. Okay? Now, one of the reasons why we're uh, going through this series um, this summer is we want to highlight some of these grand themes of redemption throughout the Bible. Uh, re- redemption and rescue, Just we want to take some time and let's just trace through the whole of Scripture uh, some of these key themes, redemption, rescue, deliverance, um, and how each book of the Bible fits into the overall theme of the, of the whole of Scripture. God is the God of heaven, the glorious God, is a God who saves saves sinners. So as we uh, just reflect this morning, uh, we're studying in the Old Testament, uh, I just want to encourage us from Romans 15 verse 4, Paul writes, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The point of the Old Testament is to encourage our hope in the Lord. Now, we are a Bible-centered church. We are tethered to the Scriptures. And uh, so, uh, uh, just to highlight this from 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul, Paul wrote, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about Scripture. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, you could put in there the woman of God, the people of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is given to us by God for our good, for our building up. And that's why we're going to be in numbers. We're we're not afraid of the Old Testament. It's radically important for the overall theme of the Bible. So we're in Numbers, and um, I, I would recommend, uh, I'd recommend a book to you. It's called uh, The Epic Story of the Bible by Greg Gilbert. I've been reading through it uh, just throughout the summer. Um, for those of you that love summer reading, uh, pick this one up. And the reason why I picked this up was just to help pick, pick out some of these themes of the Bible uh, because we're planning to head to the book of Revelation for study in the fall. That's kind of why we're, we're tracing through. All right, how do we get from Genesis to Exodus, and where are we going? And it all ends up in Revelation. So that's why we're doing this groundwork throughout the summer. So I'm just picking up. Uh, there's many places in the Old Testament we could go. I just chose one from Numbers uh, 21. So um, let's, uh, we could just look at this one account of divine rescue. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Numbers 21, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 9 today. Verse 4, Numbers 21. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. 
And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is the word of the Lord, and it's our text for study today. So the aim of this message uh, is to answer this question. What can we benefit from Israel's mistakes in the wilderness? What do we have to learn? What do we have to benefit from this one account in Numbers 21? Well, before we get too far into it, Paul, the apostle, answers this question for us. Um, he already gives some application from this text, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I remember, I was gone, but I heard that Pastor Brian assigned some homework, okay? He, uh, a few weeks ago, said, hey, everybody, go home and read 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, how many people did that? You don't have to raise your hands. Um, but here's the quiz. It's coming. I'm, I'm bringing it back. 1 Corinthians 10. So we're just going to reference this and uh, see how this ties together. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, I'm just looking at verse 1. Paul writes, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that, was, that followed them and the rock was Christ. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now here's a key. Verse 6, now these things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now here's Paul's, here's his whole point. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. So from this account in Numbers 21, Paul's saying we have, we have something to learn. We have something to learn based on this account. And I just want to highlight four, four ways of application for us, four benefits, four things we can learn, truths for our live, lives today. Number one, first thing we can learn is to wait on the Lord. Number one, wait on the Lord. And we see this in verse four of Numbers 21. For Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And here it is, the people became impatient on the way. Israel, letter A, was impatient. Okay? Here's a question. Why were they so impatient? Why? 
Well, uh, the 40 years of their wandering in the wilderness was about to come to an end. They were at the, the end of their 40-year stretch walking around the desert. The first generation, the, the Exodus generation, the, the people that passed through the, the sea, they were all but uh, died off at this point as judgment from God. They refused to enter into the promised land. Remember, Moses sent out those 12 spies, and 10, they brought their report. 10 said, not a chance. Two of them said, we can do this. Our God is faithful, and he is strong. And the people went with the 10, and because of that, a whole generation was put to death in the wilderness. They had to wander for 40 years. They refused to trust God and enter the promised land. So by this point now, Numbers 21, we're looking at this second generation of people. This is the sons and daughters, the children of the Exodus generation. But this group has not quite learned their lesson either. They're still acting out in the sins of their parents. By this point, they, uh, the people had experienced several ups and downs along the way, and they've struggled to obey the Lord. The Lord made a covenant with them, Mount Sinai, and yet time and time again, Israel's proven to be a bad covenant partner. They complain, they question God, they doubt. Uh, even, in fact, up to this point in Numbers 21, this is the fifth recorded complaint uh, up to this point in the book. Uh, let's just look back. Let's set a little context. Uh, if you're there in Numbers 21, go back a chapter. Okay, so look, uh, look with me in Numbers 20. I just want to highlight where have the people been up to this point. Well, first, uh, Miriam, sister to Moses, and Aaron, she dies. She helped to lead worship with the people. Remember, she had her whole song when the people crossed the Red Sea. Well, Miriam, she's died. The people uh, coming up after this, the, they gather at the rock, the waters of Meribah, and they quarrel, they fight. They lash out with their words against Moses. Moses gets angry, he condemns the people. He struck the rock. And in doing so, he disobeys the word of the Lord and dishonors God's holiness. After this, Edom refused to let Israel pass through their land. So Moses, he sends some messengers ahead of him. Hey, can we take a shortcut through your guys' backyard? And Edom says, not a chance. No way. We don't like you. Edom refused to let Israel pass through their territory on their way back to the promised land. And after all this, Aaron the high priest dies, and uh, his son Eleazar takes, uh, takes the high priestly role. Then after all this, they have a little battle with the Canaanite king of Arad, and they have a victory. God gives them a great victory there. So all of this, they're, they're trying to make their way back to the promised land, the land that God promised to give them when he rescued them out of Egypt. But this whole process has taken a lot longer than the people think it should, even though they're... They're the reason that it's taking longer than it should. But that's what that word impatience here means. It refers to anxiety or annoyance and often is related to this intolerance of waiting, especially if uh, the amount of time that you've waited is longer than expected. You see, uh, the people become impatient because they're feeling that we should be in the land already. Why is it taking so long? Why is Moses taking us this way to begin with? Why, 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 why are we waiting so long? And uh, in case you were thinking that maybe this was just a Numbers 21 problem, uh, I feel this impatience in my own heart. Uh, we're just trying to get Amanda's name change. And all the people have to do is send a little card in the mail to our mailbox with a name on it. How hard could this be? 
and we're waiting, 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 waiting. So this impatience thing is not just for the Numbers 21 people. This is for all of us. Um, that we, if impatience has its way in our hearts, that is a sin that will grow and take us over. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 6:45, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." And just look at what happens. Uh, the people become impatient, and then they speak out. This sin of impatience, it grows and becomes a more dangerous sin. That's what happens in Numbers 21. The people become impatient with God and with Moses and in their heart, and thus they speak out against him. In other words, sin leads always to more sin. We have to kill our sin. The remedy for the sin of impatience is uh, found, it's letter B, found in the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Sovereign means to reign and rule. To wait on the Lord means trusting in God and his sovereignty, that's his rule over my life and everything around me, down to the littlest details. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. In other words, God is sovereign. Or Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. In other words, God is sovereign. Or uh, here's what the Lord says in Isaiah 46. God speaking, he says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from, time, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the, ma the man of counsel from, from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I will purpose, and I will do it. God is sovereign. So in all of this, in the wandering, in the death of the previous generation, the quarreling of the people, their 40 years of journeying back to the promised land, all the way to their very own sin of impatience, understand God is sovereign. And because he's sovereign, what this means is he is in control of everyone and everything. Even our own sin, God is sovereign over. And because of this truth, we, this is a truth that actually helps us learn to wait on him, to trust him. He's sovereign. He's in control. I can rest in his reign knowing that he is working all things for his glory and my good. This actually leads us from, instead of impatience, okay, trust. Lord, I will wait on you and trust that your will is best. Trusting in God and resting in his sovereignty puts us in a position to receive his peace and find comfort in his will instead of fighting against it. We learn from Israel's mistakes in the wilderness, uh, we learn to wait on the Lord. And second, the second thing we can learn is um, to treasure the gracious providence of the Lord. In verse, see this in verse 5. Treasure the gracious providence of the Lord. Verse 5 says that the people spoke against God and against Moses. So they, here's what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water. We loathe this worthless food. Israel complained. They complained. Literally, the, the word means spoke against. They grumbled. They lashed out with their words. 
They're cutting with their words against God, the one who rescued them from Egypt. And they're cutting with their words against Moses, God's appointed servant leader. Their first complaint is that uh, they've been brought out of the land of Egypt just to die in the wilderness. They've said this one before. Now, of course, there's a legitimate need for food and water. The issue here is they're taking all of their frustration and they're blaming Moses. Blame shifting. It's not new. This happened all the way back in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned, and Adam says it was Eve, and Eve says it was the serpent. This is nothing new. And this very complaint that they make uh, about food and water, and we, we've been brought out to die, was all the way, the parents did the, their parents did the same thing in Exodus 14. Remember what we learned when we went through Philippians chapter 2? Paul said to the Philippians, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, complaining diminishes our witness in the world. Think about that. Complaining, just grumbling. The people here, back in Numbers 21, they think they're going to die because of a lack of food and water. So let's look a little more closely at this complaint. Let's look a little more closely at verse 5. Not only are they complaining, but the people are, they're lying. They're not telling the truth. God, time and time again, has provided food and water for the people. He provided manna. He provided them quail. He had just provided for them water at the rock at Meribah. So the people, they're telling on themselves here. They're showing deep down in their hearts. It's verse 5, the end of verse 5. It's not just that they're, they're desiring food and water. It's that we loathe this worthless food. We're, we're disgusted with it. We hate this bread that you've given to us. Well, what, what is this bread that God provided? Think, think about this. To, to put their complaint another way, it's as though they're saying, God, you aren't good enough. You aren't good enough for me. I didn't have the water that I wanted or the food that I wanted. Every time that I complain, every time we complain, we're saying the same thing. God, you aren't good enough. So Lord, forgive us of that. Forgive me of that. And then Lord, help me to remember this very account when I'm tempted to look only at my present circumstances instead of God, his sovereignty, and his faithfulness. That actually leads us to letter B. Uh, God faithfully provides. God faithfully provides. God provided for them graciously, from his free grace, provided water for them from the rock, the waters of Meribah. It's back, back in Numbers 20. Um, and even, though that, even though Moses got dragged down into the sin of the people, God still gave them water. Let's look at this just really quick. Uh, Exodus 20, or excuse me, Numbers 20, verse 7. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother. Tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Do you hear the grace, the gracious provision of God here? Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said, hang on, here now you rebels, uh-oh, 
Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water from you out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Here's the grace part. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. Just, just think about this. God gave clear, express instructions to Moses. Speak to the rock, and I will provide the water. Moses, he, he's, he's caught up. The people are grumbling. They're yelling at him. They're not happy. And he gets wrapped up in their very sin, and he calls the people rebels. But Moses is the one who disobeyed the word of the Lord here. He judges the people. He condemns them, and then he strikes now, uh, we just came back, just, we just went through Exodus. Does this sound a little bit familiar? Remember when the Egyptian is quarreling with the Israelite and Moses sees them two are fighting and Moses pronounces a condemnation on the Egyptian? This guy has to die and he strikes him and the Egyptian is killed and he buries him in the sand. Doesn't this sound familiar? That here, Moses is doing the same thing. He's caught up. He judges the people He's taking the place of God. He think, he's the one thinking, I'm the one that's going to provide water when it's not him. It's the Lord. And then he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. And yet God graciously gave them water. Did they deserve that water? No. And yet God graciously provided for them. Now there is some, some consequences to Mo, that Moses receives. And Aaron Sin always has consequences. I just want you to notice this, that later on in the account, the Lord says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land, the land that I've given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through him he showed himself holy. The way that when we revere God and his holiness that's always going to be tied with our obedience to his word. In other words, the more we desire to obey God, that actually comes from a desire to worship him in his holiness. If you want to grow in your obedience to the Lord and to his word, it actually comes from a change of worship first, not the other way around. When we see God in his holiness, that actually causes us a desire to obey his word more. So here God, in, a, in an act of gracious provision, makes water flow abundantly from the rock that the people and the animals are provided for. And not only did he provide water, he provided for the people food. He provided bread for them. God graciously provided manna, the bread from heaven, for his people to eat. Uh, the psalmist records this. There's a few psalms that, that take the, the Old Testament account of Egypt and Exodus, and they turn it into a psalm or song form. Psalm 78 is one of those. There are others. Psalm 78 says, Yet he, that's God, commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. This is free grace that God provided for the people in the form of manna. Back in Numbers 21, verse 5, what do the people say about this, this food and water? They're all out, and we hate it. That's what they say. We loathe it, disgusted with it. The people say, 
In verse 5, they're speaking against God. And this is how they do it. This is, this is why the text says that they spoke against God, because they are condemning God's gracious provision. You know, um, we saw that already in 1 Corinthians 10, 9. They put Christ to the test. And I believe that's when they make this statement here. We loathe this worthless food is when they put Christ to the test. Why do I say that? Because Jesus himself said that he is the bread of life. A reference to the manna in the wilderness. You can turn with me if you'd like in, in John chapter 6. We'll, we'll be coming back to John in a minute if you'd like to see with me. John chapter 6. This is what Jesus says, beginning in verse 32. Jesus said to the, the people, the Pharisees gathered, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the people say, Sir, give us this bread always. They're hungry. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. A little bit later on, verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is taking on this, this, he's identifying with this manna in the wilderness and the people, they're not treasuring it as they ought to. The gracious provision of God. So we can learn, we can learn from them. Thirdly, so not only do we learn to treasure God's gracious provision, the providence of the Lord, but thirdly we learn to embrace the discipline of the Lord. Embrace it. Take it to heart. This uh, is from verse 6 and 7. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people so that many people of Israel died. In verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord for us. So letter A, Israel confessed their sin. This is a good start. If we're going to get right with God, it begins with a confession of sin. Because of Israel's sin, the Lord brings judgment and correction. It's godly discipline in the, to his people in the, in the form of deadly, venomous snakes. This is a new one. Haven't seen this happen yet. The serpents are described as fiery because of the bite that they, uh, their venom produced a burning, a burning feeling among the people. The snakes, they're in the midst of the camp, and they were going around, they were biting people, so that many people died. End of verse 6 says, just, just notice this for a moment. Remember the people complained, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die? And yet, God provided for them. Now, verse 6, they're actually dying. But it wasn't from a lack of food and water. It was because of their sin, for their, their testing of the Lord. It was their own sin that brought about their death. We know this from Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel 18, verse 30, Therefore I judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent, turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why do you die, O Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. 
Turn and live. Yes, the people confess their sin, but sin, sin hurts us and it leads to our eternal misery. So this morning, I, I'm, in the message, I'm calling out to everyone who will hear, turn from your sin and live. I'm just copying what God says in Ezekiel. Turn and live. Numbers 21, back in Numbers, the people come to Moses, they confess their sin, and the next thing they do is say, Moses, please pray for us. This is good, that's good. They ask for Moses to intercede for them. So think about this, God is holy, and the people, Israel, and same with you and I today, are sinful. What's gonna cover that gap? We need an intercessor, we need a mediator, someone to close the gap for us. And here, Moses intercedes for the people, and that just points to us. We need one to intercede for us, and we need, that person's not Moses, but it's Jesus Christ. Jesus stands in the gap for us, and in Christ, we find the forgiveness of, for our sins that our soul need, our souls need. My sin deserves, just think about this, my own sin deserves not just a fiery serpent, but the fires of hell. And this is true for all of our sin, because God is holy. Yet we find today that Jesus is the perfect savior and mediator that we need. He is sufficient for all of us and for every sin. We must turn to him. The people's confession though, though it's good, it's not complete. You see, um, it's one thing to have guilt over sin, it's one thing to have conviction of sin. It's, so it's one thing to feel pain from God's judgment and correction. Just look at the end of their request. It's the end of verse seven. Pray to the Lord, comma, that he take away the serpents from us. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Pharaoh in Egypt anyways? Moses, Moses, please pray for me to get rid of those frogs, gnats, blood, hail, darkness, fill in the blank. Just, just take away the snakes. We don't like the snakes. It's like Indiana Jones. Why do they have to be snakes, man? Like, yuck. They're hurting us. They're biting us. You see, it's one thing to desire surface change or circumstance change. It's another to desire deep down heart change or life change. The people seek God for what he can do for them or give them rather than for God himself. And perhaps that describes you today waiting for God to make the present circumstances of this life better. Now, God is sovereign. He can and, and he does do that for us because he's gracious. But what we all need more than surface changes, we need a new heart. The people of Israel, they missed it here. They simply want the snakes to go away. But God is interested in the change of worship. So this leads us to letter B. God's judgment is good and righteous. And I want you to write, if you're taking notes, I want you to make a little parentheses, that God's judgment is good and righteous, parentheses, it's for our holiness, and parentheses. When God gives judgment or correction, it is always for our good. God is God and he knows what he's doing. God's purposes in the world and among us, his people, are always for his glory and our good. Even discipline even suffering, even correction, difficulty, God is working in all of it for his glory. It, this teaches us humility and dependence on him. 
When he corrects us, it gives us a distaste for sin and a greater desire for holiness. And the, the writer of Hebrews, he, he summarized it in Hebrews 12. We could read uh, the whole chapter. I'm, well, yeah, we'll read, whole, we'll read the whole chapter. Hebrews 12.5, I was going to skip, but we're just going to read it all. Hebrews 12.5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Shall, not much more, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits, that's God, and, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, when God gives discipline and correction, though it's painful, though it, it hurts in the moment, it's actually for our eternal good that we would share in his holiness. And that's what God is doing in, in the account of numbers. Yes, there's, there's a sin that needs to be punished, but there's also a, a disciplining that needs to happen here among his people. And that's what the writer of Hebrews, that's his whole point. Has God disciplined you? I've experienced that. And it's caused for me a hatred of sin, a greater hatred of sin, a greater love for God. Even though it's not easy, I don't want to be disciplined, but it's really for our good. And that's, that's worth taking to heart, embracing the discipline of the Lord. It's for our good. And this leads us to our last point already. And fourthly, we learn to look for the, look for the promises and salvation of the Lord. Look for the promises and salvation of the Lord. It's verses 8 and 9. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is promise and salvation right here. Verse 8 is the promise. Verse 9 is the salvation. So let, let's just look at this. Uh, letter A, there under number 4, the first. If we're going to experience the promise and salvation of the Lord, we need to learn first to admit. Letter A, admit. That's genuine repentance. It's a turning from sin. To repent means to change your thinking. Isaiah 45, 22 says this, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. There is no other God. No other God to be worshipped. No other God to find salvation from. There's only one. The God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth. And Is he your God today? We can turn to the Lord and be saved. That's genuine repentance, and it requires humility. It's saying, God, you're right, and I need you. It's a recognition, I need healing. I need rescue. We first have to admit we have a problem. 
so that we can experience the salvation of the Lord. First, admit, and secondly, be, believe. We must go to God's provision. In Numbers 21, the people, God provided for them a, a bronze serpent. They had to go to the middle of the camp, look for a giant bronze snake. Now, I, I was reading, and some, some commentators said, now, it might be copper. It might be a copper snake because there was copper in abundance in the area, and copper has more of that reddish, that reddish tone to it. And the commentators had realized there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, and so maybe it was a copper snake. I'll let you guys study that out if you'd like to. The point is, there's a big snake, metal snake held up on a stick. So think about this for a moment. God did not remove the serpents from the people. Yes, he heard their prayer and, and he interceded for the people and he made a way to be rescued, but he did not take away the serpents. He kept them there in the midst of the people as they're wandering back to make it to the promised land. Instead, what God does is he tells Moses to make a metal snake, lift it up high so that everyone, anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at it and be healed. Now, follow this with me. The snakes were originally the judgment of God, but now they've become an instrument of God's redeeming grace. Think about this. They went from, they were biting the people, and then yet God makes a way of provision, a way to be healed. In the midst of the serpents, they've become useful in his sovereign plan to carry out his grace, his plan of salvation. Now, the ultimate point of the message today is not about snakes. Israel forgot this point, uh, even by, by, the, by the time they get to the, the kings, 2 Kings 18, uh, the, the, the people were worshiping the bronze serpent. 2 Kings 18, the, the king, he removed all the high places and broke the pillars, cut down the Asherah. He broke to pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. So the point of the message today is not about a bronze serpent in the wilderness. We don't have to go looking for snakes this morning. <laughs> Got one. Although, you know, you may see some snakes today. And uh, I, I'm going to give you a little illustration. Okay, uh, you may see some snakes around. And I want you to remember this so you remember this message. I got two pictures that are going to come on the screen. The first is an ambulance. Okay, maybe you, maybe, okay, maybe you know where I'm going with this. I, I learned this this week. On the back, you see that little star-looking thing. Zoom in on that picture. This, it's called the Star of Life. Okay, so I see some heads now. We know where we're going. Doesn't it look familiar? Didn't we just read about this? A snake on a stick, right? Okay, here's, but here's the point, though. Uh, when they were putting this logo together way back when, when they made this logo, um, they, they were, I read all about it, and they said, well, it, had, it could be from, there's some Greek god that maybe had some medicine, and the Greeks worshipped it, and then they had a little star at the bottom note. Uh, there's actually an earlier reference to Numbers 21. I knew it! Bronze snake! I just read about it right here. So when you see an ambulance down the road, I want you to remember this message. The point of it, look to Jesus and live. Just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So you're never going to forget this now. You're going to look for ambulances. Not all of them have it, um, but some of them do. Uh, that's the ultimate point of the message. Now, just he hear me. The ultimate point is not snakes. The ultimate point of the message is to trust in the Lord and receive his salvation. 
Can you say that this morning? Have you looked to the Lord and received his salvation? That's admit, believe, and thirdly, letter C, receive. Receive divine rescue. You know, the, in Isaiah 53, the, the, the prophecy of the suffering servant says that by his wounds, we're healed. This is the salvation part of verse 9. Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. How amazing is that? Think about it. You have a venomous snake with ve- biting you, venom coursing through your veins, and what's the provision? Look at a bronze snake in the middle of the camp. There's no reasonable rationale for that working in any way. It's not magic. It's a divinely appointed, gracious way of salvation that God gives. Why does a snake on a stick heal the people? Because God said it does. It's a way to receive his grace. And it actually is preparing the way for Jesus to get here. And we're going to go there in just a second to John chapter 3. Actually, you can turn there with me right now. Jesus applied this very text to himself. Jesus says he is the one. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent, it's all pointing back to him, pointing to Jesus. John chapter 3, look at this with me. John chapter 3 and verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Jesus says, so the Son of Man, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I want you just to realize this. The reason that the people were healed back in Numbers 21 is because God graciously provided for them a way to be healed. And the Lord has done so infinitely more so for us today in Christ. You see, the people were healed physically from the bite of the serpent. But when Jesus came, and he was lifted up on the cross, and he suffered and died for our sins, what life do we get to gain from him? Not that I deserve it, not that you deserve it, but we gain not just physical life. Jesus says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, everlasting life, forever life with him. Jesus applied this text to himself. So think about this. I think I said that a lot today. Well, there's a lot to think about, a lot to learn from this text. The cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. The cross was originally viewed as an instrument of death and cursing. Galatians 3.13. Well, we're going to get there. The cross was viewed as an instrument of death and curse, but no longer. No longer. God sovereignly planned and used the crucifixion of Jesus Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to redeem and rescue sinners like me and like you. To rescue anyone and everyone who admits, that's repentance, and believes, trusts in him alone. So the cross goes from an instrument of death, instrument of judgment, instrument of cursing, to an instrument of grace-giving life, just like the serpent in the wilderness. This is the glorious promise that when Jesus rescues us, he'll never leave us, He'll never let us go, but you must look. We must, each of us, look to Jesus. You must set your eye on Christ by faith and faith alone, not works. 
Abandon all other works or hopes of salvation on your own. Paul wrote in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And Jesus says in John 6.40, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And this is the whole point. When we admit our sin and believe on Christ, we receive rescue, divine rescue from our sins. We receive eternal life and the hope of resurrection with Jesus on the last day. So perhaps you're here today and you are discouraged. Hear this message today and lift your eye to Christ. His love is steadfast. We heard that last week. But if perhaps you're here and you are looking inward in pride, I call you instead to look to Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and none will stand before him. All will bow the knee and confess him as Lord. Everyone here today, let us all look to Jesus Christ and live. Amen. From Numbers 21, here's what we learn, our summary. From Numbers 21, we learn from God's people to wait on the Lord, treasure the gracious provision of the Lord, embrace the discipline of the Lord, and lastly, look for the promise and salvation of the Lord. Two, two points for our next step, our application. Have you looked to Christ by faith and received his forgiveness? I ask each and every one of you today, have you looked to Christ by faith and received his forgiveness? If not, do so today. Don't wait. And then, secondly, God, here's a prayer. God, help me to live according to your word. And you can fill in the blank. God, help me to live according to your word by. Worship team, you can come and, and we're going to pray together as we close. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your glorious salvation. Thank you for this account of Numbers 21. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus, the bread from heaven, the Savior, and you sent Jesus to suffer on a cross, to die, die in my place, die in the place of sinners. Lord, I thank you that you were lifted up, though that deserved to be me. Thank you, Lord, that through your death, your life, your death, and your resurrection, you would give me eternal life. And I pray that you would do so today for anyone here who has not yet come to that point of faith, of looking to you. Lord, I pray you would work in hearts now. That we would stop looking everywhere else and instead look holy to Jesus. You are the only one to save us from our sins. Lord, we love you. Thank you for rescuing us divinely through Jesus from our sins. And then, Lord, use us to be instruments of grace in your hand. You can use snakes. You use the cross. So, Lord, use us to simply point people back to you in worship, in glory, and to find salvation from every sin and for their souls. Lord, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, 
like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.